Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand-up dates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymcclain. Check out stand-up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello and welcome to the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Uh, this is Casey McLean. We're a day late releasing the podcast. Probably not even a full day late, actually. But uh, a day late recording. Uh, it's been a wild couple of weeks. I was in... I was in Spokane uh, with Bobcat Goldthwait. That's where we left off on the the solo podcast. And I had a blast, by the way. I absolutely loved working with Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, let me get some plugs out of the way before, uh, before we go too far into this. I am starting a weekly stand-up show at Airport Tavern in Tacoma. If you're one of the people who listen to this podcast and you live in the Tacoma area... The first show is on September 8th, and it's going to be an absolute monster of a show. I have Gabriel Rutledge, past podcast guest, the most recent guest of this podcast. Uh, I have him on it. I have Aaron Engel, who's a fantastic Seattle comic, who's been on Comedy Central. She's great. Uh, now, me personally, so I'm going to be hosting that every week, um, almost every week. i got to take some weeks off. Come on, people. But the show will be happening every week. Every month, there's going to be a variety of kind of themed shows. And then one week, we're going to have like a professional, high-quality headliner. Maybe, not, by the way, I'm using a different microphone. I'm curious to hear if you can hear the sirens in the background. Um, every week or every month when we have a headliner, and they'll be called headliner shows, those shows are going to be balls to the wall some of the best comics from the northwest and people who are already touring the country some great fucking shows on those dates we don't have uh the headliner for october set yet i have some people in mind but we got to see who's going to be available and what the attendance is like on this one to figure out what the budget's going to be early bird tickets available for that show the room only holds 40 people. So if you're one of these people that I'm friends with that I normally let into shows for free, not this show, baby. $10 uh, early bird tickets. You can get them at Eventbrite. I can, uh, I'll link it. I'll link it in the show notes of this. Go get those tickets. And then after that, they'll be $17. And uh, either, maybe I'll make them like 20 at the door. Make them a little more expensive at the door. I'd like to just sell this fucking thing out online. Um, okay. And then I have some dates coming up. Let me September 5th. Let me pull up my, my old, uh, my calendar. <sighs> God, just squeezing this in is a real pain in the ass. Let me tell you. 
perfect. My calendar is set for 2022 for some reason. Um, September 5th, I will be with Gabriel Rutledge at a theater on Bainbridge Island. I can't remember the name of the theater. It's not the big one. Then September 17th and 18th, I'll be on these shows that I forgot. They're not, they're all sold out. I'm opening for JP Sears, me and Josh Firestein opening for JP Sears at Everett Historic Theater. Going to be a blast. Then, um, Muckle Teo, October 7th. And, man, what is this? That's my anniversary. I should have known that. I got some shows coming up. Let's just, let's just say that. Come go check out the CaseyMcLean.com slash calendar, but more importantly, come out to those airport tavern shows. Those are going to be important to me. So, all right, we got some, uh, let's talk about Bobcat. Bobcat was really, really, really fun. He, uh, I was not sure what to expect from his comedy because he's a guy who has done a lot more than stand up in his career. This is me, uh, me inconspicuously sneaking away from the microphone to grab a water bottle. Bobcat Goldthwait, I didn't realize, so I wouldn't say that I was like a quote unquote fan of Bobcat Goldthwaites specifically, but I pulled up his IMDb and he has done so many things that I love. So Scrooged is this movie. It's a, it's a retelling of, a Christmas Carol with, uh, but with Bill Murray as Ebenezer Scrooge, basically. And it's, uh, it's really funny. And, and Bobcat Goldthwait's very funny in that, but he's, he has made a bunch of stuff that I like. We talked a lot about some of the projects he's working on. So check, uh, check some of that stuff out. We talked a lot too. I love, I really love, there's something about these like Boston guys the comics that come out, there's so many great comics have come out of Boston. You just dream to be part of a scene that's that's yielding so many great comics. And it's so unlikely. It's so unlikely that Seattle will be that scene. And then I think about like the Boston thing that happened in Boston. There's this great movie, by the way, called When Stand Up Stood Out. It's a documentary on YouTube about the birth of the Boston comedy scene. And there's a guy that is uh was great friends with Bobcat Goldthwait, um, and who I actually got the opportunity to see live a couple years before he died, named Barry Crimmins, who's kind of credited with starting the Boston comedy scene. And holy shit, did some killers come out of Boston. One of the things I like about Bobcat the most, though, despite he had like, because, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say, is I didn't know what, because I saw, a couple years ago, I saw Tom Arnold. And I don't usually make it a habit of disparaging comedians, but Tom Arnold had just like a bunch of kind of lame Hollywood stories. And I was worried that that's what Bobcat would be doing because he has been a famous comedian for almost 40 years. And he has been a comedian for over 40 years. He just wasn't famous yet. So I was a little worried about that. And he has some celebrity stories. He has some stories that aren't so, uh, so, uh, like driven by celebrity. But what I like about him is none of them are like 
oh yeah, I was hanging out with uh, so-and-so and this thing happened where we looked cool and we were funny. Instead, it's like, I was hanging out with this celebrity and I made myself look like an asshole. And I like those kinds of stories. So I really loved it. I really loved it. He's also friends with, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into like, he, he's got some, he's very, he's first off, substantially more willing to burn a bridge than I am. But he's also, I have a, I have a, like a personal credo to not, I don't want to hurt comics. I don't want to be, I don't want to damage comics careers or their reputations. And I would say that Bobcat Goldthwait, to put it lightly, does not feel that way. Part of the thing is, I think it's a little bit embarrassing when comics at my level talk about comedians who they don't know, like as though my opinion on some, I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to talk about comedians later in this podcast. I just remembered, but I'm not, what I'm saying is, is I'm fucking embarrassed, but I feel compelled to talk about it. Um, yeah, Bobcat does not have that same rule again. Safe to say, uh, God damn. I sold so many fucking shirts too. It was so good. It's the most, I believe it was the most money I've ever made in a comedy weekend. And that's promising. There's been, I've been, I keep like setting new personal records this year, which is good. So we're getting closer and closer to, if you guys start making this podcast a little bit profitable for me, share it to the, share it to the world, figure out how to make some money off of this thing. Let's get some listeners on this bad boy. If we figure that out, boy, we'll be in business. Not that far off with stand up from, uh, from cutting the cord on the day job. I did end up, I ended up in uh, Portland, Oregon for some day job stuff. And then I got on a comedy show down there, which was great. Uh, I then came back and went to the Renaissance fair with my friend, former podcast co-host. Uh, I'm his, I'm a groomsman in his wedding, Taylor Bonzer. And for his bachelor party, we went to the Renaissance fair in Bonnie Lake, Washington. I am not a Renaissance fair guy. I am a nerd, but I am very much a different kind of nerd <laughs> than the Renaissance fair nerd. And even like, it's kind of like one of those things where you, it's like a, a little bit like, you know, I would actually equate it to like the first open mic you do as a comedian because I showed up at the Renaissance fair and I was, I didn't know where everyone was. As it turns out, they were all back at the campsite drinking alcohol, which is, that is a behavior that I am uh, in a state that I'm very comfortable in. But I did not know that, so I walked into the Renaissance Fair first, and I just realized, like, how fucking out of place I was. And also, I realized that I made a calculated error, because it was Taylor Bonzer's day, my friend Taylor Bonzer, I wanted to, what I wanted, even though I'm not that kind of nerd, is that I wanted to not make it. I didn't want to, what, what's that saying? I really hate this saying, but it, it works in this case. I didn't want to yuck anyone else's yum. I didn't want to go to the Renaissance Fair and be the guy that's like, ugh, this is fucking nerdy. I didn't want to, it wasn't, the day isn't about me. Also, I have recently turned down the opportunity to go to a strip club. So I'm at a point in my life where even though I don't 
particularly like the Renaissance Fair. I'd rather go to the Renaissance Fair than the strip club. I hope my wife is listening to this. Or if you're listening to my my father-in-law, occasionally my father-in-law listens. You heard that. That was honest. I haven't, I realized, I haven't been to a strip club since, man, I might have been 24. I might have been 10 years since I've been to a strip club. In the span of time since I've been to a strip club, the strip club has gone from a gross thing that perverted misogynists do to supporting sex workers. Um, anyway, Renaissance Fair was good. I had a turkey leg. We drank some alcohol. I drove safely home, but I was so fucking tired by the time I got home. And I did drink responsibly. That is true. I was so fucking tired. And I slept, according to my Fitbit, which calculates your sleep, I slept nine and a half hours, which probably hasn't happened, certainly hasn't happened since my daughter's been born, except for very early in her life. God, she was like a week or two old. I got really sick and slept for like basically a whole weekend. And then besides that, I've been, I'm not a good sleeper. So nine and a half hours for me is monumental. I was exhausted. Part of it is just like, I mean, going as hard as I can with comedy. I've been driving all over the place. I drove to Spokane. I drove to Portland. I drove to, I've driven to Washougal and Monroe. And to, I've driven to Spokane three times, by the way. Um, I've been all over this and I've flown to Oklahoma city and Boise and, um, I've been all over the fucking place. Did I say Washougal? I think I did. I've been all over the place and I'm loving it, but you know, you hit a point where it's between that and working a day job, having a a two year old, you fucking hit a wall and I hit that wall. I hit it hard and I slid down it for nine and a half hours. Um, so, but I'm back. I'm doing a, I'm doing a non-comedy thing this weekend. That's, I'm driving to Bend, Oregon this weekend and doing a non-comedy thing. So that will be another like 12 hours of combined driving. A lot, a lot, a lot of driving. All right. Let's talk about, what do we get to? Okay. So this whole Afghanistan situation happened. And I think that what we've done, we've fucked up comedians. We have fucked up comedians. The comedians think that they have to have an opinion on Afghanistan. Like somehow every, this is, this is happening to everybody. By the way, it's not just comedians, but comedians are the most vocal people that I'm exposed to. All of a sudden, everybody becomes a political scientist. They have like a perfectly calibrated opinion on foreign affairs. And listen, I don't know. My What I want is the most humane outcome. But for me to say that I understand it, for, for me to say that I haven't heard people constantly contradicting themselves based on who's in office, Like the idea that we should or should not or 
are pulling out too early, pulling out too late, as though that's not a basically driven, like almost explicitly bipartisan uh, ideology is crazy. Like we're all just fucking, and I tr I'm just trying personally, I've been trying for several years to be an independent, independent thinker, like a true independent, true believer, independent, not like, not like a lot of times independent just means, uh, I think a lot of times when people say independent, what they mean is I vote the other party from you, but we agree on some things and I'm too embarrassed to admit that I vote the other party. So like in a red state, you may say independent when the truth is you actually vote liberal and in a blue state i think people say independent because it's a lot easier to swallow than uh saying republican right and i think that this is why people have this opinion i've heard this opinion by the way and i think it's the, one of the stupidest things i've ever heard in my entire life is left-wing people saying that centrists are worse than right-wing people even though those centrists, on average, are going to vote substantially closer to that left-wing person's values. Be I think it's because it's like a fucking horse that can't be tamed. That's what I think it is, because you can't predict and control that person's opinion. They're not going to be swayed by the like prevailing popular opinion. People hate that. Everybody wants control. That's what it is. Everybody wants control. It's not a left or right thing. It's not a politics versus non-politics thing. It's not a men or women thing. Everybody wants control. And what we've done is allowed ourselves to fool ourselves into believing that it's righteous for some person to have control versus another person. Anyway. <laughs> Am I doing the same thing as I just said other people? I just think it's fucking stupid. Um... Rachel Nichols got fired by ESPN for some comments. Man, I wish I was set up a little better right now because I'd like to play the audio. She got fired for some comments she made about her colleague Maria Taylor being up for um, some, some reporting work or some analyst work that Rachel Nichols... Uh, believed that she had earned and had been previously doing in her career. And it's brought up this kind of like, I think, unrealistic standard. So basically, to, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize it poorly. So I am certain that I am, I am paving over some nuance here. So I understand this. But she said, basically her, the thrust of what Rachel Nichols said was, I think ESPN needs to do a better job of diversity, but not at my expense. And I, I think that is, this is like where we, so if, if the argument here is that Rachel Nichols is racist, then I think almost every person in America of every ethnicity of every whatever because they are self-interested is inherently bigoted and racist, whatever. I, I, by the way, I, I, I don't buy into this opinion that racism requires in order to be racist, you must have, uh, 
power. Because, or be from like the ruling race. Or, I think, I yeah, I think it's just, it, it makes complex a thing that's very simple. Racism as a concept is very simple. Now it's execution, it's eradication, obviously very complicated. Uh, this is basically how I feel. One of the things that I've said about having a kid, and this might be unpopular, but one of the things that I've said about having a kid is that I think that it actually simplifies your life. It makes a million things fucking infinitely harder. But it's simple. All I want before my own happiness now, and this isn't just a some bullshit cliche thing, but I always think of things in terms of will this or can this provide my daughter a better life? That doesn't mean, in my opinion, by the way, that you can no longer take risks. Like, obviously, the the most sure shot at my daughter having a good life would be quit comedy and go push as hard as you can to be, you know, like a, a professional in some corporate world, corporate world job. And I'm lucky enough that I have some skills and some background that makes that possible for me where a lot of comedians are just unskilled psychopaths. However, I've absolutely sacrificed parts of my non-comedy career, my non-creative career for creative pursuits. I'm doing fine, everybody. Please still tell a friend, a loved one, a coworker, give them the news that the Nobody Likes Casey McClain podcast exists, please. But it's a calculated risk. And I also think it liberates me, by the way, from this when you become a comedian full-time, as I understand it, because I'm not doing it, but I've, I, I'm friends with enough full-time comedians and I've watched people go to full-time, you start to have to take gigs that suck because you got to pay the bills. And I don't have to do that. I've put myself in a position where I have flexibility to travel and an income that allows me to make future-driven decisions versus present-day decisions. But ultimately what I want is what's best for my daughter. And my wife and I are very open-minded people. We've, we've, I am from Washington state. I'm very liberal. I've, I would now hesitate to call myself progressive. I think at a point in my life, I was progressive and that, that, uh, movement is taking off in directions that I don't necessarily think are effective, if, if even, if even necessary or valid. But I can tell you this, if, if I was more qualified than a person of color at a job, my wife and I would, but let's say it was close. They always talk about that. Like, uh, people being like, oh, two equally qualified people. Who would you pick? Well, none of us are perfectly equally qualified. That's a, that's a false 
That is a false narrative, a false idea, a fallacy, whatever. We're, we, our opinions of our own value, of our own qualifications, are not even calibrated well enough to know what would make us equally qualified. Not to mention the fact that, uh, yes, yeah, small biases play a role at that point, etc. If I'm up against, actually, this is my first ever, this is a good example, actually. My first ever role that allowed me to work in an office, 2000, probably 12. I was working in a box factory and me and a guy that I was friends with, uh, both applied for jobs. He was a black guy. I was a white guy. I remain a white guy. He remains a black guy. And I got that job. And then through a series of, I mean, this is, this is, you know, I've been again, very lucky and I've worked very hard, but that started kind of like several dominoes that have led to me having like a pretty decent career. Now, would I trade that for, for equity purposes? Absolutely not. But I shouldn't be the one that gets to make that decision. You understand what I mean? Like, like if your expectation, if the expectation of changing everybody's outcome is that some dickhead like me, that millions of dickheads like me have to be the ones to make the decision and go, no, please give a substantially, uh, give a substantial career advancement to somebody besides me while all I'm trying to do is just make my daughter's life comfortable, it's not going to happen. The government has to step in. <clears throat> oh, and so my point is, is, I think Rachel Nichols expressed an opinion that most people, uh, most, most people, not people of, I don't think most people of any socioeconomic class are trying to hand their careers over to people of lesser socioeconomic class. We could make it about race, but eventually you could make it about gender. You could make it about sexuality. You could make it about any kind of thing that disenfranchises. All I can do, simple for me, simple for everybody, vote with your heart, but also just keep trying hard. That's what I'm doing. I guess I'm a monster. I mean, maybe Rachel Nichols is horrible. I don't know. But I, like, I, this is a thing that I feel like a little bit empathetic about, which is something that I would probably also feel in her circumstance. Somebody's taking, she has a fleeting career that she feels lucky to have. Yeah, of course, she's a little bit territorial over it. All right, finally, I want to read this article because... Um, there's this article about, why do I not have it up? I had it up earlier. There's an article about Louis C.K. and the Daily Beast. A bunch of, a bunch of these, like, these, like, comedy journalist people decided to cover Louis C.K.'s return to Madison Square Garden. Um, 
by the way, they talk about it as a comeback. However, Louis C.K. has been on tour since he put out a special in the pandemic. Like it's, it's, it's complete ignorance. It's such bad journalism and reporting. So I want to read this part of this article because uh, it reminds me so much of what you hear about like baseball writers doing where a baseball writer will be sitting and watching a game and they start to write the outline of what the story is going to be. They don't have all the particulars yet, but they know that like one of the paragraphs is going to be about a home run in the second inning. And one of the paragraphs is going to be about the pitcher getting pulled out in the fourth. And one of the paragraphs is going to be about this. And we have like, some maybe some uh, superlatives and some phrasing and some some career achievements that happen in this game. This stuff is kind of all happening so that when the game actually finishes, they can get this thing out to press as quick as possible. And that's what I feel happened with this Daily Beast article. And it's such an embarrassing indictment, in my opinion, on journalism, period, but especially journalism that, that uh, centers on comedy because it's oh it's so fucking embarrassing and by the way i want to say this uh louis ck you can feel however you want about him i have um i have worked with louis ck accusers i i'm not challenging these these women uh i understand that everybody has they're entitled to feel uncomfortable about this and not welcome louis ck back into comedy don't get me wrong I don't really, I'm not really interested in talking about that because I think that's like, um, that's kind of everyone's like personal level of comfort and morality and awareness of the topic and etc. So like, I'm, I'm not really interested in that, but I just want to read this embarrassing article because it's, it's so fucking lazy. It's lazy. It's so obviously lazy journalism. The article starts out, the air in New York City's Hulu Theater and Madison Square Garden was giddy. The space, which can fit up to 5,600 people, was packed. Louis C.K.'s cult following was alive and well, and they were excited to see their boy. His Friday the 13th show boasted three openers, Lynn Coplitz, Jay McBride, and Greer Barnes, all of whom were warmly received. That the roster was predominantly women felt like a calculated decision. We'll skip a couple parts on this. Uh, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum. Um, so this is the start of a new paragraph, but it's obviously a, an extension of something else. And that it was an herb. And that is the absolute furthest Louis C.K. would go in addressing his sexual harassment allegations all night. Here's the thing. Louis put out a special in the pandemic. He already he already put he already addressed it on that thing. He's not going to come out with specials over and over and over again. They keep talking about it. Now, in order to see that special, you have to buy it on his website. It's not a public streamed thing. Not his choice. I might add uh, here we go. The comedian's new material is not for the faint of heart. It has everything. It has everything. 
child fucker jokes that include a very involved journey about being in possession of a little girl's underwear, more pedophilia jokes with an emphasis on the Boy Scouts of America, COVID-19 jokes, jokes about staring into a human asshole, 9-11 jokes, gay jokes, Jew jokes, cancer jokes, a heavy helping of transgender jokes, and a sprinkling of additional race jokes, and tons of sex. At least, I will give this writer credit, at least in this part, they refer to these jokes as jokes. A lot of times what these writers will do is they'll go, in this thing, a comedian, you know, disgraced comedian A stated that he thinks this, which is not what he thinks. He said that because thinking that would be hilarious if a person had that viewpoint. For his whole career, Louis C.K. has been an absurdist. Um... Yeah, okay, here's like a good here's a good thing. This is just like the embarrassing what what uh makes comedy embarrassing period is that it could be described like this. In a set that spanned about an hour, CK described his favorite sex position, pantomimed gay sex, and suggested society implement child sex dogs dolls child sex dogs, uh child sex dolls so as to curb the actions of pedophiles. That's the problem. That's a good a good example of the verb is not suggested. That is not what he was doing. He was making jokes. You fucking liars. Again, I don't think that uh, this person is wrong to be made uncomfortable. It is crazy that somebody's buying tickets to go. You know what you're getting into. You know who Louis C.K. is. Um. Anyway maybe there's more it's this but this to me if the thing that got me the most is the women predominantly women openers being calculated first off louis ck has had female openers his whole career another thing that doesn't get mentioned here especially because it's especially uh peculiar because of the criticism of Louis' material related to um, transgender jokes is Jay McBride is a trans comic. One of the, like, uh, maybe the best trans comic in the country. Um, but she is a trans comic. Like, she is there represented. Uh, and that's not, this is what, the reason this is a template is because this, it's like, it's like Mad Libs, right? They're like, if he had had three white dudes, it would be, the fact that he had three white dudes is offensive. The fact that he had three women is calculated. If it was all black guys, it'd be like the fact that it was, um, it, it was di racially diverse was calculated. It's going to be whatever it was, no matter what the lineup on the show was, it was going to be a critique. Lazy journalism. It's j lazy analysis. All right. Now that I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot. If I ever had the opportunity to open for Louis CK, I don't know if I would do it. I think, by the way, I've never been asked. Uh, I don't know if I would do it, but I could tell you that it's not on, for me personally, it's not on moral grounds. I could morally square myself. Um, that, and by the way, my wife, I brought it up to my wife one time because I was like, what if he comes to town? He wants a local opener. What if he comes to town? 
And one of the comics he's bringing, I know. And they're like, whoa, what if we could get Casey a guest spot? And she's like, yeah, you would take it, obviously. She said that. I didn't ask what she thought. I just said it's a thing that I've thought about. Of course, my wife doesn't have to face this very sensitive and cutting. I think Seattle might be a little bit more sensitive than normal comedy scenes and certainly more cutthroat in terms of stuff like that. I will say I don't get a lot of paid work in Seattle, so I don't know that it's incredibly important for me to maintain those relationships from a uh, from a financial perspective. But there are people that I care about that I do like, that I do think would be disappointed. And again, it's just an attempt to be a free and independent thinker that uh, makes me think I would do it. All right, I'm going to end the podcast there because I got to go watch my daughter and I got to break the news to my wife that I'm doing an open mic tonight. So thank you all for listening to the podcast. Please tell a friend, a loved one, a coworker. Follow me at the Casey McLean. On all social media platforms, come out to Airport Tavern every Wednesday, starting September 8th. We have a great show uh, with Gabriel Rutledge. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I will talk to you soon.